So here we go. This is part two of a new series we're starting called I Am. Um, to briefly uh, just give you a heads up of where we're going in this. Um, each week, we're going to look at two things. We're going to look at a statement in the Gospel of John that Jesus made. He made seven different statements declaring who he is in the Gospel of John. Um, last week, we looked at the big picture fact that Jesus literally called himself the I Am. We've kind of been praying this this morning. Um, hearkening all the way back to the burning bush, when Moses encountered the burning bush and, and God said through that bush, I am the great I am. That's who I am. I exist. That, that phrase, I am, it means I exist. I always have been. I always will be. I'm preeminent is the declaration. And Jesus made it clear in John chapter eight. That's me. That's me. And then, then through the rest of the gospel of John, he unpacks what that means. Because if you're like me and you hear I am, that sounds really vague and not super helpful. I am, great, me too, here I am. Uh, but it means more than that. And so Jesus is defining for us who he is and what he does. And so um, we're gonna explore seven statements that he makes, and then we're gonna connect them to another book that John wrote, the book of Revelation. And in the book of Revelation, there are seven letters to the churches. And it's very clear that God intended for those letters to be read to all the churches. So it's for us here today. And, and I believe there's some specific connections between who God is and who he's calling us to be. And some of these letters were encouraging. Some of them were correcting problems. Most of them had a little bit of both. Hey, here's some things that are going well. Here's something you're missing. And so my, my hope in this is that we're gonna hear clearly who Jesus is and we're gonna see into our own lives um, things he wants to encourage that are, that are happening well and maybe some things he wants to correct that will help us walk this life out with him. That's where we're going. So this morning, part two, is that Jesus said, I am the vine. I am the vine. That's what we're studying this morning. So this is found in John chapter 15. We're gonna begin there. Um, if you want to prepare in advance, we will also be in Revelation chapter 2, looking at the first several verses of that when we get there. So John chapter 15, I'm just going to begin by reading through uh, seven or eight verses of this to open the service. So just kind of take this in and then we'll unpack it a little bit. John chapter 15, beginning in verse 1, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser, or we might say like a gardener. Um, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, 
and so prove to be my disciples. So Jesus gives us this picture. And one of the things that I'm grateful for about Jesus is he gives us real life things we can wrap our heads around. Jesus was a regular guy. He was a carpenter by trade. He hung out with fishermen. Like he, he was a man's man. He was a normal everyday guy that you could be around and you could understand what he was saying. I mean, at times I feel like I make things more complicated. I wish I could explain things like he does. But he gives them this, this visual. And for us, you don't know if a, a vine is a great picture for you, if maybe a tree would be a little bit better of a picture. But he's saying, here, here is this thing we can all relate to. Here's a growing plant that we can relate to. And I recognize if I walk up to that plant and I break a branch off, what's going to happen to it? It's going to die. That's a really practical analogy. That thing will die. It has to be connected to the source of life. Its place is found in that tree, attached to that vine, a part of that bush. It needs to be connected. It's a part of it. And when it's disconnected, it dies. I mean, on a really simple level, so many of the problems we see in this world really just boil down to the fact that the human race was designed to be connected to God who made us. And we are living disconnected lives from him. And guess what? We're withering up and dying. I, I realize it's a really simplistic explanation, but Jesus talked in simplistic, practical ways. If, if we are connected to the source of life that we were made to be connected to, good things will happen. Fruit will be produced. A good life will be lived. We will be full of life and energy and vitality. Now, I've got some news for you. So, so we've got these two images. We've got Jesus as the vine, and he said, my father is what? Right, the husbandman, the vine dresser, the gardener. He's the one kind of tending to it all. And then Jesus defines for us something very specific. He says the gardener is going to do some pruning. Now, I don't know if you caught this or not, but there is a promise in here. And it's not really a great promise. <laughs> the promise is you're going to get cut. Look at it again. Verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. All right, so man, whatever's dying, he's for sure cutting that out. But every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. Sorry, bad news. God wants to work on us. He wants to work on us, but he's doing it for our benefit. See, this, this process of cutting away the dead branches, it's not, it's not a judgment thing. It's actually a reflection of reality. This thing is there and it has already died on the vine. Anybody ever have any trees in their yard like that where there's like a part of the tree that's just not growing anymore and the dead branches are just there? It's already happened. And he's coming along and saying, let's, let's just be real. This is dead and it's time for it to go. If anything, it's hurting the rest of the tree because it's still trying to send resources to something that cannot be prepared any longer. It's dead and it's time to go. Now, I realize it's really easy to read this verse. And in some ways, I believe that Jesus is applying this verse specifically to people. Like somebody might just be so disconnected from God and so dead that there's going to come a point in time where they're cut off and thrown in the fire and burned. Okay. 
that's later. That's the reality of facing God on the other side of this life. That's facing eternity. And as he sorts out where we all land, we don't need to live in fear of that as followers of Jesus. He says, I've already made you clean. So I think what he's talking about to us as believers is this. There are things in our life that are dead and they are draining resources from what's alive and it's time for them to go. It's time for them to go. There's some things that are holding on to us or maybe some things we're kind of trying to hold on to and keep it connected. And he's saying that thing's already dead and it's draining valuable resources and it's ripping you off. Let me get rid of that thing. Now, I don't know what that is, but I bet he'll talk to you about it if you've got one of those. But, but I can also tell you just as equally, I've experienced the pain of him pruning something that's actually already growing. Have you ever discovered that your strengths get you in trouble? I mean, one of my strengths is the ability to speak in public and not be that nervous about getting up and talking in front of people. My, my mouth has been a strength in my life. If we went into the nursery area right now and we brought my wife in here and got her out of the nursery, we could ask her if there were any examples of my strength, my mouth ever causing problems. It gets me into trouble. See, our, our strengths unattended to can be our greatest weaknesses. And for some of us, we become so reliant on our strengths, we're ignoring some of the ways they need to be pruned and shaped and sharpened. And so God will come along and he'll deal with it. And listen, this cuts to our pride. Sometimes it's pretty easy for me to go, hey, that thing's not a strength. So if you're telling me that's kind of messed up, I agree with you, I see it. But to tell me my strength needs some improvement, my strength is getting me in trouble, it needs to be addressed, that's a lot, that's a lot harder of a pill to swallow. But God says, I love you so much, I will actually prune that back so there can be better further growth. Now, I'm not a gardener. I've done a little bit of reading about this, but like this is a common practice to actually trim and shape a healthy tree that produces fruit. And by doing that, it will actually allow it to produce more fruit the next season. More fruit the next season. So uh, just as a way of reflection, even before we go any further into the rest of this, there's kind of a, a larger thrust of what we're gonna talk about this morning, but I would just encourage you to sit with the Lord on this issue of God, are there some dead things in my life that are time for them to go that you wanna cut out? Or Lord, are there even some strengths in my life that you'd like to sharpen and refine a little bit? And am I willing to let you come along and prune that? Because it's gonna hurt. It's gonna hurt, but it's, it's for our benefit. So this is the imagery he gives us. And then listen, at the simplest level, he just makes it really clear. If we could define that whole, those whole eight verses, this is what Jesus is saying. The vine is essential. If you're connected to it, things are great. It's life-giving, it produces fruit. If you're disconnected from it, you're gonna experience withering and death. Connected, good. Disconnected, bad. We tracking with that picture? Okay, because it's an important picture. So then Jesus goes along a little bit further and he begins to define this in some practical terms for us in verses nine through 11. She says, okay, I've explained the analogy. Now let me tell you how this analogy works. Check this out, verses nine through 11. Jacob, I'm, I moved something. You with me? All right. <laughs> Jacob's on it. I didn't even have to tell him that. 
As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Who loves first? Father, right? We abide in our love towards God? Is that what he said? No, we abide in his love towards us. I stay plugged in. What he's saying is the lifeblood of the vine is love. That's, that is what is producing life. God's love coursing through the tree into us, the branches. His love pouring into my life is the source of life. And so he says, Jesus is saying something practical. He's lived. Notice what he says first. This is what's happening with me and my dad. See, I'm y'all's vine, but he's my vine. I'm connected to the Father. I and my Father are one. I, I am connected to his great love for me, and that's what's sustaining me. And now I want to pass that on to you guys. So stay connected to my love. Verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. As, now watch again. It stays practical. He's experienced this. If you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Is Jesus talking about what he experienced in heaven right there? I don't think so. He is talking about living on this planet. And he's saying, here's what has sustained me in my life on this earth that we're all living in. I have stayed connected to my Father's love and the way that I've done it is I've obeyed him. Please hear this because obedience gets so twisted, abused, misused. It can be used by people in authority to control and manipulate people, but that is not who God is. The source of life is his love. And in his love, that means what he's communicating to us is for our good. It's for our benefit. It's out of his love for us. So when he gives us direction, when he gives us instruction, it's not to rip us off. It's not to steal us from having fun. It's not to cause us to live this miserable, sour Christian life. If you've been told that, that living the Christian life is boring or sour or means you miss out on fun, you've been lied to or you're hanging around with people that they've been lied to and they've decided that's how they're going to live. Life with Jesus is fulfilling and incredible and life-giving. Now, the world we live in is hard, so life is still going to be hard. But with him as the source of love, when we're walking with him, we experience good things. And so Jesus says, God loves me. Therefore, he communicates truth to me that will benefit me. And so what I do is I say, okay. I say, yes, I obey. And Jesus invites us into something he's already experiencing. Now, notice why he says this. Don't just take my word for it that it's for our good and it'll be awesome for us. Jesus says it. Verse 11, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Okay, there are two factors that work together to produce this joy. Were any of them related to the circumstances of our life? Were any of them related to when we get on vacation, we're at the beach? 
Were any of them related to um, my spouse has just been amazing to me the last few weeks and stuff's just clicking and good and therefore that's how I have joy. Was it my, my kids are awesome and they're just on it. They're well behaved. They're doing all this. Like it's, it's wonderful. There's unity in the house. Is that what was defined? No, there were two things that produce joy. I am receiving God's love towards me and I'm faithfully obeying what he says. Receiving God's love and walking in obedience will produce joy. That's the formula. And that's how we have abiding joy. We stay connected to the vine. We hear God's message of love and truth and life spoken over us. And when he asks us to do things, we obey him because we know it's for our good and it will produce a life of joy. This is the picture that Jesus gives. So all Christians everywhere, ever since Jesus told his disciples this, live like this all the time, right? No, <laughs> I don't, right? Jesus communicated this. He told his disciples, go teach them everything I taught you, right? So now we're sitting here today because one of them wrote this down. Okay, I got to remember to tell everybody, let me get pen to paper, wrote it down. Now we've got it. Well, guess what? You and I have something in common with the church in Ephesus, um, like not even a generation removed from this. The very first believers that are getting this message of life and hope in Jesus who heard this stuff, they were already struggling. So let's check this out. So we're going to go to the book of Revelation, chapter 2. We're going to be reading in verse 1 in just a moment. But I want to give you a little bit of a picture of, of these people at the church at Ephesus. And I'm going to speed through this a little bit just from a time standpoint here. Um, so the town of Ephesus, um, it's, it's originally, it wasn't a Roman town. It was, there was a lot of Greek culture there. And then the Roman empire came in and, and took over. And now they've been in charge of the area for a long time. And in 27 BC, when Augustus became emperor, he made an important change where Ephesus became the capital of a whole region. Can we go ahead and put that map up on the screen, Jacob? Is it, it probably was already up there. All right. I don't know how well y'all can see this. But Israel's kind of over here, right? Mediterranean Sea, y'all tracking with this picture? Um, Ephesus and what is now, is, is located in what is now Turkey, the country of Turkey, just to give you some perspective of where this is. So that city became the capital of that entire region for the Roman Empire. And when they entered into that position, um, it became an era of prosperity for them. Um, and they were this seat of, of power for government, but also for commerce. So this is a well-to-do place. They are well off. They've got finances. They've got resources. They're near the coast. Um, they have a rich history. There's, there's a rendering or a, a remake of the temple. This is believed to be a pretty close approximation to the temple of Artemis. Or you, you may know her as the goddess Diana. This is a Greek temple that was built that existed. Um, this model is now uh, standing in Istanbul, Turkey. And so it's meant to be a re recreation of that. All right. Um, so there's a whole scene in Acts where there's this like chanting thing happening in Ephesus when Paul is visiting and they're talking about the goddess Diana. This is the temple in her honor. This, this existed there. Um, here is a picture of a bronze or what was originally a bronze statue of this goddess Diana. I just want to give you a flavor of the culture a little bit. This is a Roman copy 
from the first or second century AD of an original bronze statue um, that was done by a Greek guy named Leo Chairs. And this is on display now in the Louvre in Paris. Um, this chick, Diana, think Katniss Everdeen. We got any Hunger Games people in the room? That's what she represents. I mean, she, she literally carried around the bow, the arrow. I mean, they'll actually tell you they, they kind of intended for that character to be a reflection of this. And so there were all kinds of things that she symbolized, um, but there was just this idea of her being like this protector and warrior and girls would look up to her. And so this is just some of the culture. This was a, this was a modern town is what I'm trying to say. There was culture in this town. There were finances in this town. There were resources there. There was also a church there that Paul helped to establish. And so from, from a biblical perspective, Paul helped get this church going. He was there for two or three years. Then you guys know Timothy, right? Paul kind of discipled him. This is where he left Timothy to pastor. So when you read First and Second Timothy and Paul's encouraging him, he's talking about Timothy leading the church in Ephesus. Y'all tracking with this? So if you wanted more background, you could read the letter to the Ephesians that Paul wrote. Right? He's writing this letter to people he knew. And you could read First and Second Timothy. It'll give you a sense of these people and what was happening there. Um, so th there's a rich church history. It's also believed that the Apostle John, who wrote the book of Revelation that we're about to read, that he lived in Ephesus for a while amongst these people, and that most likely he wrote the Gospel of John while living in Ephesus. Okay, do you, do you understand the connection? This guy who wrote the words, abide in the vine, is now writing this letter to them that's a personal letter from Jesus. Jesus said, I have something to say to them. Y'all get it? Okay, so here we go. Revelation chapter two, verse one. These are Jesus' words to John so that John can send this letter. And he says, Jesus says, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Now, if we reflect back to the imagery before, the lampstands represented his church. And so what Jesus is saying, he's saying this letter is written to you from the guy who's in your midst. You get the picture? I'm right there with you. I'm right there with you. I'm in your midst. And here's what I want you to know. I want you to know that I know your works. Good job, guys. I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear those who are evil but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and you've found them to be false. You know what he's saying? You've pruned. You've pruned. You've worked hard. You've done the work. You've endured. You've pruned the stuff that's got to go. Great job. I'm proud of you guys. He continues on. He says, I also know that you are enduring patiently. So they're not even just like, you know, well, we're going to keep doing it. They're doing it patiently. They have a good attitude about it. And they're bearing up for my name's sake. They're working to glorify Jesus. And you have not grown weary. This is a good, faithful, hardworking church. Sounds great, right? They're producing fruit, right? Verse four. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. You're disconnected from the vine. You're disconnected from the source. You were, you were connected to my love and now it's gone and you're missing out on something. Um, 
I want to share a snippet of a story, and I I would be happy to sit down with you guys and share this more in depth at some some point in time, because I believe there's power in us sharing our testimony. I battled with depression for probably about five years, and it was really deep and dark for several of them. And this wasn't like a distant memory. This was like just a handful of years ago. I, I started coming out of it about three years ago. I was on the tail end of it about three years ago. Um, so I can't recap that whole story, but I want to share something specific with you guys that happened to me in the middle of that story, kind of a pivotal moment in my life. Um, I'd started getting some counseling and some help. There were some signs of, of life, but man, it was, it was a hard road. And at one point along the way, Amy was like, hey, I, I want you to have a weekend away. And so she surprised me with it. I showed up at the house on like a Thursday or Friday after work. She had my bags packed. She had a place picked out. Uh, Jamestown, um, up like right at the border of Kentucky almost in Tennessee. And there was a, a national park up there and she had like a Airbnb spot for me on some water. So get in the car, I travel up and I'm thinking, okay, man, God, I've been doing the work. I've been, I've been trying, I've been fighting through this thing. I'm getting a weekend with you. Like, let's spend some time together. And I'm, I'm hopeful. I'm like, God, you're going to show up and do awesome things. And I got there and it was horrible. <laughs> I felt so alone. I felt so alone. And I, I went on a particular hike one day and I had my backpack and just had a Bible and a journal. And I'm walking and I came to this area, it was this huge cave. And um, it, it was pretty open, but there was like a huge overhang like this. And then there were trees and forests here and it started to kind of rain lightly. So I just sort of ducked in it to take cover. And then I realized the cave was as big as this room right here. It was huge. And so I get in there and I sit down like, well, it's raining. Let me just spend some time here with the Lord. And there was a spot where somebody had burned a fire before in there. There were some rocks around and a few logs. And you're about to think that your pastor's really crazy. And I, I probably am. <laughs> But as I was sitting there, just feeling really alone, I did the weirdest thing I've ever done in my life. I made a little altar. I took, I took the stones and I, I put them on an altar and I picked up one of those just burnt up logs. Like, you know, when it's just charred, it's almost like charcoal and that was like this. And I just set it on top and like I was kind of in tears and in, in my heart and mind, that log represented the condition of my heart. I had nothing. I was burned out. I was used up. I had nothing left. And I put that log on the altar. I just said, God, can can you make that thing burn again? And I would love to tell you that something amazing happened right then. It didn't. I felt like I was alone in that cave and he didn't care and he didn't give a rip and he wasn't there. And after, I don't know how long of being in there, I picked up a big stick and I took it and I knocked the fire out of that stick as far as I could hit it. And I left feeling dead. And I came home in way worse condition than when I left. I can't tell the whole story this morning of how God rescued and redeemed my life. But what I can tell you is that I was disconnected from the vine. 
I was toiling and working hard and trying to do all the right stuff, but I lost sight of the God who loved me. And I was dying. And thank God in his mercy, he pruned instead of cutting the branch away. But it felt touch and go for a while. But he pruned and he restored. He reminded me of his love for me. And he, he hung in there with me. And over time, he began to heal. He did. He did relight that heart. I was demanding that he do it right then, right there. But he did do it. And I can stand before you today and say, my heart is on fire for God. And it's not because of me or something I've done. It's because of his incredible love towards me. And I just try to position myself and say, God, will you, will you pour your love in? Because I'm desperate for it. I can't live without it. And he's poured his love in. And see, he gently comes along to these Ephesians. He's not throwing it in their face. He's saying, I see, man, you're toiling. You're working hard. I get it. I see you. I love you. And you've lost sight of that. And so he tells them what they can do. Look at verse five. Remember. Remember, therefore, from where you've fallen and repent and do the works you did at first. Stop worrying about all the work. The real work is staying connected to the vine. The real work is receiving my love. That idea for repent isn't just like you're a horrible sinner. Repent. It, the, that word repent it means to change your mind, to turn around. You're disconnected. Remember my love for you and turn back to it. Receive it. Let me pour that love into your life. And that's what he longs to do. I had intended this morning to take you guys through some stuff in the book of Ephesians. And so instead, here's what I'm going to do. If you're a note taker, write this down. If you're not a note taker, go online. I'll leave it in my notes. But if, if you go through the book of Ephesians, you know, at first glance, when I think of Ephesians, I think of Ephesians 6. The armor of God, right? Put on that armor and fight. It's a few verses after a whole story he's been building. If you read through the book of Ephesians, I'm going to give you some places you can look. You will see two themes that come up over and over again. Being in him and abiding in his love. In fact, if you read Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14, if you count, and I did, in those verses 3 through 14, 11 different times he says some variation of in me or or sorry, in him or in Christ or in God's love, over and over again, he repeats that need to stay connected to God. It's repeated throughout there. Then Paul writes a prayer that he's praying for that church as he's communicating to them, you've got to stay connected to God. You need that intimacy. You need that connection. And the prayer that he prays, I, I do want to read this one. The prayer that he prays is verses 14 through 19. And listen to what he says. For this reason, I bow my knee before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. He wants us to be strengthened. He wants us to experience his power in our lives. So how do we do that? Verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, staying connected to the vine, receiving the love of God. And what does it produce? 
you may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints. He wants all of us to experience this. What is the breadth and length and height and depth? And notice his wording in verse 19. All of this is for us to know the love of Christ that does what? There's something bigger than knowledge. We are meant to be experts on the love of God. We are meant to be so familiar with God's love for us that we become experts and the end result is that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. What if I was an expert on God's love? What if I was an expert on hearing it, on receiving it, on letting it get down inside of me? I said this last week, when we when the Bible says the word know, it often is referencing that word that we use for intimacy, sex. It's an intimate knowledge of something. God wants us to, on a deep level, be experts, be familiar with his love. I might have information in my head that I've been told God loves me, but am I so connected to him that it's pouring into my life? And what that will produce is the ability to trust him because he's good and it will lead to a joyful life. And the Ephesians are told at the end of this letter to them in verse seven, Revelation chapter two, verse seven, here's what you're gonna get if you overcome. He who has an ear to hear. Anybody got an ear this morning? At least one working, maybe two. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. He, he intends for us to eat from the fruit of his vine. And he says, if you live this kind of life, that's paradise. You can have a taste of heaven here on earth by walking, by being connected to the love of our great God. That's how you live a life full of joy and meaning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you love us. Thank you that you sent your son to be the vine that we could now be connected to and that you pour out your love through Jesus towards us. And thank you that you love us enough to prune off dead things that gotta go, that are ripping us off. And thank you that you love us enough to help our strengths become even stronger by pruning those too. But God, ultimately, we thank you that your heart towards us is that we would receive love from you. And by doing that, we would be invited into a life that is rich and full and has joy in any circumstance, in any season, because it's rooted and grounded in your love towards us. Jesus, I pray for myself and I pray for my friends here today that we would become intimately acquainted with your love towards us. Do that work in our hearts and help us position ourselves to receive it. In Jesus' name we pray this morning. Amen. Amen.